Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And today we have a very special uh, guest, Dr. Uh, Emil Mahana, who I know very well. I've worked closely with him. Uh, we will be discussing uh, today transitioning from clinical medicine into industry with Dr. Mahana. Uh, and uh, of course, our co-host today is Dr. Mohamed Ali Jardari, whom you all know. So uh, just a, a short background, Dr. Mahana. Dr. Mahana. Uh, actually finished his medical school at the American University of Beirut, subsequently did a two-year research fellowship at Case Western Reserve University in the great city of Cleveland, and then uh, did a residency and fellowship in cardiology over there, uh, subsequently went to uh, Brown University for an interventional cardiology fellowship, and finally went to Mass General for an endovascular fellowship. And Dr. Mahana had such a great love for his home country, Lebanon, that he did not waste any time, finished his uh, Second intervention fellowship, I moved back to LAUMC, Rizal Hospital, uh, where I met him and we worked together. And uh, one note is he moved about four months before the Lebanese revolution started. So he moved there and the country went. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what he did to the country, but things happened. No, no, there, so, there was no correlation. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. This is not uh, independent predictor. That's what people tell me. You know, you move there, you. Did, you destroy a country and then, then it lasts the following year. I can assure you I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> Correlation is not correlation. Absolutely. So, uh, so Dr. Mahana, can you tell us a bit about, uh, initially let's start with your decision to move to, to Lebanon, uh, why it happened, and then uh, tell us a bit about your work at uh, LUMC, LUMCRH. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. First, thank you, Khalil, uh, for hosting me here. It's good to, to, to see you after this time. Uh, obviously, I left uh, Lebanon, and my intention has always been to, to come back. I mean, and people would tell me, listen, after one year of training, two years of training, uh, you will change your mind, and you will uh, never go back. But actually, I, I was determined. And then, uh, you know how it is, after you, you live 10 years in the States, it's, it's a decision you take without much weighing, if you want, uh, objectively options, right? You're, when you're finishing with your American boards, you're finishing with, you know, prestigious institutions, MGH, Boston, and, and Brown, the normal expectation is that you take a job and you start a job and you start your clinical career, plus you can tailor the job to what you really like in the States, right? You can go work in a VA, you can work uh, in private practice and in between academic, semi-academic. For me, there was I wanted always to come back. So I did not even open or explore the option because I knew if you get the options and you evaluate them objectively, that potentially, potentially, you can take your first job because it's tough to match it. Even in the best jobs you can get in Lebanon. So I simply did not apply to Lebanon, uh, to, to, to the States. And I said, I'm finishing, I'm going back. And I somehow, I knew this was coming. So I started working on it before I even finished my fellowship. And truth being said, my last fellowship was almost chosen to serve that purpose. So, you know, I knew I would become an interventional cardiologist. But when I started my mapping two, three years before I finished, I knew that no one was trained for these advanced endovascular technique. And then that's why I decided to pursue this extra fellowship so that when I applied to go to Lebanon, I wanted to be competitive in a very competitive job market. 
So I put somehow institutions in Lebanon, with all my respect to all of them, in tears if you want. And I said, I want to try first to get to the American universities. That's how I'm trained. And these are, you know, whether AUB, LAU, you know, I got offers in both different offers. And then I had other options because the goal was to go back. And it was, again, optimize my chances to get the best I can get in terms of deals and stuff. But at the same time, don't compare it to what I could potentially get in terms of first job in the U.S. because it will never match in terms of, you know, opportunities. So it was a subjective decision that took some time but to, to, to execute. That's that's how I came back to Lebanon. If if that's that answers a bit, maybe the decision to move before we get into what I did there, if you want. Right, exactly, exactly. And so, how was how was your job at LA? I know we worked there together. And uh, how was your job at the UMC? And how how is practice of clinical medicine in Lebanon? Well, it's it, it's different. Uh, so Lebanon has been historically, you know, I mean, you know very well, you're aware. Historically, most of the new technologies used to start in the area from Lebanon, right? Where if you go back 20, 30 years ago, uh, most of the innovation that came in interventional cardiology to the MENA area, the Middle East and North Africa, would start in Lebanon. The first drug eluting stent, you know, rotational atherectomy, carotid stenting, even TAVI, we were among the pioneers. We had we got TAVI in Lebanon before the US, believe it or not, because we, you know, the, the advantage of a Lebanese physician was that uh, he or she would have access to the U.S. and Europe at the same time. So whenever you have a technology, you can somehow shop around and either take it from here or there. Um, so this was what I knew that I'm going to this system, and I knew that it's different than the U.S. in the sense that even in an academic center, you build your own practice. You know, if you, I am your cardiologist, you have my cell phone, my WhatsApp number, you will call me 24-7. This was, I mean, I knew a bit, this was a bit of the expectations. Uh, I knew that, you know, I based even my, my life in Lebanon. I took an apartment attached to the hospital because I'm your cardiologist. I have to come fast if you call me. So I was willing. And again, I knew upfront that I will be compromising. I cannot work on the cutting edge technologies I was working on. I, I was not a phone call away from reaching an R&D department in the company that say I'm an expert with, or the imaging technology. I was an expert in imaging, intravascular imaging. So that's somehow the expectation coming into the country. I started working, you know, you adapt. The faster you adapt, uh, the better you're off. And I have to be honest, it was faster and better than expected, my start, I want to say. You know, I mean, I was told, hey, listen, come back to Lebanon. No one knows you. No, you know, you just need to navigate a bit the politics of the institution where you're working. And, uh, and you know, you do that, you know. There are people that have been there for a, for a number of years. You just need to respect them, you know, learn from them how they do things while keeping, and that's the core, while keeping your values and while keeping, you know, what you believe in and while providing the good care and the good medicine you do. So if you combine this respect to the senior people there while keeping 
your values and what you learned and how you practiced in the U.S. and you give this to your patients, people appreciate it. And your best referrer is, is, is your patient. So that's how I started. The start was better. But, but then, as we say in this, I mean, then th things went south, if you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part, part of the reason things, because we were both there together at the same time, and I agree with you, the start was great. But the reason things went south, I think partly was, was the economic uh, collapse in the country, which, which led to a limitation and what kind of procedures you can do and the number of procedures you can do on the patients. So very frustrating. I mean, I'll add to this, I mean, you know, I mean, this is exactly, you know, where the frustration started building up. So I am an expert in imaging, you know, and LAU, even before I came, had invested in this intravascular imaging modality, optical coherence tomography, to launch it. Imagine, we're doing the launch on a big event. We've been working for weeks and months, even before I had transitioned, after I signed my contract in 19. We were working on this since the beginning of the year, getting, you know, top international speakers because we were launching this. And then we were supposed to do it on the 25th of October. You know, the machine was arriving to Lebanon, I think, and then, and then we were just making, you know, and then, of course, the revolution started and things started deteriorating. And A, we couldn't do our event, we couldn't launch our technique, and, you know, week after week, month after month, you know, you exactly what you said. You can't, I mean, you start really, A, you know, road closures and everything, patients not getting to the hospital, but more importantly, COVID came. And with COVID, you know, and the economic, it was three or four things that happened at the same time. Probably COVID was easier. We had the blast, we had the, the economic uh, uh, yeah, issues and, and the collapse of, of the system and the, and the devaluation of, the, uh, of, of our, uh, you know, Lebanese lira. And add to it, you know, all the uncertainties in the system, so suddenly you start not do the things that you are supposed to do, right? If you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're frustrated. You know, I can't open an imaging catheter. Most of the stuff are not reimbursed and it causes frustration in your practice. You know, you find yourself, you know, doing with my respect to every specialty, but I did not train for 17 years, seven of medicine and 10 plus two subspecialties and the American board to be giving a cholesterol pill to patient or a blood pressure pill because, you know, I had bigger aspirations. I wanted an imaging center that would be a hub where I train physicians in that part of the world. I mean, this was pre-agreed. I had the sponsors. I had the industry partners willing to sponsor it. But then everyone put their brakes on and they said, you can't do it anymore in Lebanon. You know, we're not supporting that. You want to do it, just go do it in Dubai, go do it in the Gulf, you know, go give your courses, give your expertise, teach people there. And then frustration was building up. You know, this was now we're in 2020, right? A year after into my job. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's how it went. Yeah. And so that, that's probably when you started uh, your contacts with uh, Boston Scientific, right? Well, <laughs> well, it, it's, it's interesting how it happened. Uh, maybe reaching that stage. So, so again, after a year, a year and a half in practice, frustration was building, right? And I knew that I knew that I could do a practice in Lebanon and I can continue and survive. You know, we've seen the Syrian next to us, you know, Syrian war, 
that started in 2011 and people survived. It was 10 years after that war. Okay, they're compromising. They're doing primary care uh, most of their time, but they're surviving. And this was not the issue. But the frustration was like, it's for me, it's a career suicide if I don't have access to the technologies I train to do. If I don't do that, I become, A, you lose your skills in these advanced techniques. You know, I was doing critical limb ischemia, below the knee interventions, you know, uh, limb saving interventions. And simply I could not, I could not do these for multiple reasons, but mostly, mostly because these are not reimbursed. And then suddenly you have a procedures that cost 30 and 40 grants and that's that's too much you know and then you had people telling you just amputate my leg and i don't, and and i'll be okay so and 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 this was painful right i mean you train you can't provide what you can do and again more frustration you know not only you don't have you're not able to do what what you do the finances it was was something to add on top of it but it was never really the driving factor because you know how it is in lebanon things adjust you know but it things adjust. But then this is when I took the decision that I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, you know, becoming that guy that, you know, will be not using that technology and then becoming redundant. And then one day, 10 years from now, someone will come and they'll tell me, hey, listen, um, you know, we, uh, you, you did a great job keeping that ship from sinking. But now here comes the newbie that, that uh, is newly trained, you know, I mean, and then you, you 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 are a senior person, but with old techniques, and that's a bad combo. So, uh, what this is at that time when the options were a to go to the Gulf. I was you know I was proctoring a lot, you know. And for those not familiar with that concept, proctoring is when you're an expert in a technique or a technology. You know, you, usually the industry companies are interested educating physicians about it. So I used to go and teach about this imaging modality. I did Kuwait, I did Saudi Arabia, I did Dubai, Abu Dhabi, you know, I did Bahrain, some of them remotely also because COVID was hitting at that time. So between face-to-face -face or COVID uh, or uh, re uh, remotely. So I was getting a lot of job offers in the Gulf, very honestly, uh, and again, you know me, I'm a very honest person. Um, my wife, neither my wife nor myself were, were, were willing to move again the family. Uh, and this applied also to the States because when the blast happened in 2020, I got calls from my mentors in the US. You know, I said like, come back, your job is ready. You know, you left, you didn't want to consider it before, but now you, <laughs> you survived a blast and you almost died a few weeks ago, come back, you know, I mean, but again, put yourself in my shoes. I had moved to Lebanon a year ago, you know, 2019, and you're asking me with, with my wife and my two kids, I know I had, two, I had two young kids, and then you tell me back and leave. It was too soon to happen. And then out of nowhere, literally, I mean, I mean, again, I was very close to industry in general because I was proctor for, for three different companies. You know, I was a proctor for Abbott, for Shockwave, for CSI, and then, Ironically, I remember it very well, it was October. So here we're talking a year and a half roughly after I had come back, you know, I had taken the decision that it's time, you know, this is, you know, tough times for Lebanon at the peak of, of, of the problems. October, November, I got a phone call from a friend of mine in Boston Scientific. And I remember very well, I was at the beach and then, you know, late summer. At 14? At 14 or? 
Uh, what was that? Were you at sporting or? Uh... Oh no no no! Actually, I was at Aqua. I was at Aqua with the kids. So I remember. Why do I remember it very well? Sometimes memories get got got stuck. No, I was not at sporting. So so the kid, my kids were playing, and I had kept my cell phone in my pocket. So I was like my my back to the sea, so that if one of my three or four year old are sinking, I throw them back on the beach you know so i was like you know the the defense line not to 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 to, to avoid them deciding to swim to cyprus and I, so and I, call, I got a call from from one of my friends and 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 rafa cavalcante rafa basically i had met years ago in cleveland you know he was an interventional cardiologist and then he had done his phd after that in the netherlands practiced in brazil and then got recruited in 2016 to Boston Scientific in LATAM, Latin America. 2018, he got promoted to Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And when I moved back to Lebanon, we reconnected also because I was now in his territory. And he said, hey, Emil, I got promoted. I'm becoming the global vice president for Boston Scientific. I'm moving to Boston. Do you want my job? So, uh, of course, you put yourself in my shoes. I did not want to go to the States. I was not ready. My, my wife was not very supportive to go and move entirely, you know, the entire family to the Gulf either. I said, you know, it's something that I wanted to do all my life, but I thought I'd be doing it in my 50s or 60s, you know, industry. I said something when my kids go to college, you know, and my back will be hurting from all the time wearing lead in the procedures. I'll take this, this sort of job. But suddenly, and then, you know, I remembered one of my mentors. He used to say, you know, you're never too young. It's never too early. You know, my mentors in the States. I said, you know what? The opportunity is coming. Why not? Let's explore it. So I went all in, you know. I mean, of course, he told me, I mean, he just told me there's an opening, but it doesn't work this way in industry. You know, I had to do seven interviews, you know, and many months. Because again, of, of things and HR and the paperwork, and now there is, you know, some uh, slowing down of hiring, and now it's, you know, and long story short, I got offered the job in April, April of 2021. This is, you know, so of course I gave my two month notice and I took a sabbatical. I took an unpaid leave. I said, okay, what's my worst case scenario? I try it. This is now June 2021. Lebanon is in a crisis. I'll try it. I'll take a sabbatical. If I like it, that's great. If I don't, I have it. A, the job market will be better because, you know, we were all expecting COVID will be done. And then, you know, you know, I had reached out to some friends and everyone was saying the same thing. And B, with my job, you know, I will have visibility and contacts that I can also leverage when I look for my next job. So that's when I started as Director of Medical Affairs for Europe, Middle East, and Africa for Boston Scientific Interventional Cardiology. And this is now June 2021. And, and from there, I mean, not I know you can go maybe over details if you're interested, but I simply loved what I was doing. And then because I loved it, I then, you know, I said, I said to, to the people uh, at AU, I'm not coming back. I fully resigned. And here I am, what, a year and a half almost later, you know. I was, I'm also overseeing, as of this September now, all the medical education at Boston Scientific. So I started with medical affairs, and now it's medical affairs and med ed. Right. All right. So this was, uh, thank you for, for sharing. 
always uh, with us. Um, I was gonna ask you next if you have uh, any regrets about leaving traditional clinical care, but I guess you kind of uh, touched on it, uh, talking us through your thought process about making the switch from uh, uh, clinical practice to uh, industry. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm, 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 I'm a simple person in the sense that I don't lie to myself. You know, I, I keep it simple. I said, I'll try it on a sabbatical. And if I regret it or I don't like it, I'll just pack up, you know, I'm on unpaid leave. But there's no regrets in say, it's the opposite because I see the opportunities in what I'm doing. A, I'm happy. Again, I don't lie to myself before lying to others. You know, I'm happy. I'm enjoying it. I have a lot of opportunities of growth within the industry. And again, um, uh, maybe some people ask your question differently. Some people ask me, hey, don't you miss clinical medicine? You know, and I tell you very honestly, the part that probably I miss is being behind the cath lab table and doing your cardiac catheterization, the procedural part. But do I miss seeing patients in the clinic and getting the WhatsApp calls and the phone calls at 2 a.m. because or, you know, the two people, again, I told you how it works in Lebanon, you know, two people just on a lunch on Sunday uh, discussing if, uh, if which blood pressure pill is better and calling you, you know, just to ask you this question. I don't miss that at all, you know, but if you tell me just be, you know, you miss being standing in the, on the cat lab table and doing a procedure, uh, that's, that's the only part potentially I miss. But again, it's way, you know, like if you want to, uh, over exceeded by the happiness I'm having in my job. So, so how how was the transition? I guess to industry. Yeah, because, I mean it's it's a completely different. Like some people call it call it the dark. Some clinicians call it the yeah. dark side. Yeah, but it's yeah, not, yeah. It's not the dark side for sure. But so how was the transition no, no, over it's, there? It's, and how did you adapt? It's fun actually, you know, you know, because like when I used to introduce myself to these physicians, when I, you know. Um, I used to say, you know, before crossing to the dark side and everyone would laugh and except my boss, like, no, no, it's the bright side on this side. Anyway, so I'll tell you, the, to talk about this transition, it was initially when I transitioned, there was a part that was unknown to me. You know, if you tell me, Emil, what will you be doing? Although I had asked this question in interviews, but what will you be doing on June 1st, 2021? I was not sure. So there was one part that I said, I'm doing it. That's it. Let's go. Because the day-to-day -day work, you know, I started in the middle of a pandemic, you know. So what do I do? What is medical affairs even, right? I mean, now I can explain it. Now I can, you know, I recruit people to my team. I'm recruiting. I have a big team now. And then, um, but truly that transition what is it? Maybe before we talk about it, what do I do? What is medical affairs? That's probably things that people don't know. You know I didn't know very well. So in the end, when you talk about Boston Scientific Interventional Cardiology, first to give you a, a sense how big is Boston, we're talking 42,000 employees, 12 billion of revenue last year. So a huge company, right? Six divisions. The biggest one, the historical one, and the, you know, the one that funded Boston Scientific is Interventional Cardiology. So in medical affairs and medical education, we don't do the commercial art, okay? We are not the commercial art. We don't do sales. We don't do marketing. You know, people sell me, do you sell stamps? I don't, you know? So what I do in these, I am the non, I am taken in my position. I'm the highest 
physician in the company in Europe, Middle East, Africa. And I'm I was appointed in the company because I'm an interventional cardiologist to be able to do these peer-to-peer -peer discussions in the line of work I do and what are the things I do. In medical affairs, we are responsible for the investigator-initiated research, the evidence generation for our technologies. So Professor Diab once is a cardiologist, let's say, and is interested in studying our stent, you know, our coronary stent, and doing the trial on, I don't know, ladies that are above 75 with chronic kidney disease, and he wants to check if dual antiplatelet with these medications. I'm giving, I'm saying whatever, right? Or let's go more tangible. Today we're talking about interventions, but we are advocates of modern PCI or modern percutaneous coronary intervention. At its core is the use of intravascular imaging and using new technologies and new techniques to, to improve your stent implantation. You need to generate evidence that a modern approach is better, right? So I am in the department and my team basically is the one responsible for the investigator-initiated research. So we sit with you, we discuss your research idea, we see if we fund it or not. So we have, you know, when I joined, we had 59, you know, we were, I can give you the numbers of last year, about 50 trials that we are responsible of overseeing, investigator-initiated, right? And the trials are from 10,000 euros of budget to 7 million euros, okay? So, and small trials sometimes are, just to answer a simple question, big trials are, aiming to change guidelines, right? And that's, so, so we are, we do this part. The second thing we do is the medical education part. And in medical affairs, the medical education is the conference education. So, you know, you go to the American College of Cardiology, there is a symposium, right? That is the sponsored symposium. You always see these in conferences, you know? We decide who speaks, the agenda, what they're addressing, you know, this is our team that does that. Again, we are the medical expert in the company. The third thing we do is the data dissemination. So data dissemination, you know, when you do a trial and we publish it, right? How to tell your marketeer what message they need to bring out. So you have to, to tell them what's important and what's not. And then they can do their marketing thingy, right? <laughs> they can just give the message and tell them this is why it's important and go for it, and they go, and you see them, you receive all the messages after. But also we disseminate data internally, which we need to empower our sales force. Again, the big functions in a company like Boston, the 40,000 employees are the production and the sales and marketing. It's not medical affairs who are the support function that make sure you know like, that things happen. So we do this data dissemination internally, and last but not least, our role is to do this key opinion leader engagement to make sure you know we can influence guidelines, we can influence messages on the podium and so forth. So that's a big chunk of what we do in medical affairs. And on the medical education side, we are responsible for all the educational journeys to build the journeys of education, you know, on our devices, on PCI, on Valber, on our TAVI, on our Watchman left appendage uh, closure device, you know. So, so that's what we do. So you see a bit, you know, we're not commercial. We are the medical people. And my day work, a day can be done, you know, I cover a big area, right, with my team. So I have conference call. You tell me what is your day like, right? I have conference calls. I'm never on call, so I don't work Saturday, Sunday. 
you know, in my role, I sometimes work a bit later than the 5 p.m. because I take calls sometimes with the U.S., but 6, 7 p.m., not more than that. Um, I, I travel, and when I travel, people ask me, why do you travel? I travel because either I'm attending a conference, you know, I have meetings with investigators, I have, you know, or a, an educational activity we're doing, an advisory board we're running, you know, we are running the advisory board, of course, in collaboration with marketing, with other uh, functions, or, you know, the rest of time I'm home-based. So whenever I have access to a computer, I can do my work. And then that's your answer. The toughest part initially was like, May 31st, I'm running in the hospital, you know, answering phone calls, pre-op consults, cat lab. On June 1st, I'm in the front of the computer doing my, again, it was COVID. So that's a long, again, answer, but trying to cover every aspect of, you know, what I do, how I transition, and what I am now. I hope it's, it's a bit, gives some clarity to the type of work we do. I think so. No, this, this is fascinating. Uh, so the, the next question I want to ask you, if you can maybe tell us more about uh, where they see the future of uh, biotech going and what are the biggest uh, challenges uh, that you see, especially that you said you started in the middle of the pandemic and that uh, was a weird place maybe to start your new role. But now uh, as we go out of the pandemic, uh, where do you see things moving? Uh, this is a great question. So first of all, you know, like, let's talk a bit about the challenges we're facing today as industry in general. And then, but then later we can talk about the prospects, you know? So if you look at us, the big threes in interventional cardiology, we're doing really well on our growth and our, you know, like our education on the, and how we, and our sales and all that. But today, like anything in the world, the challenges is coming from the increase, the inflation, the cost of goods that are increasing. And that's really what's putting challenges on us and making us decide on our strategies to go forward. Now, this is important for me per se, I don't do the commercial again, but the ability to invest in clinical trials relies on this margin, is how much you have margin, the extra money, because we, are, we invest in Boston Scientific $1 billion of our revenue in R&D. So that's huge if you think about it, you know, per year. And this ability to invest is critical for us. And that's why I'm mentioning the challenges to try to answer your question. Where do we see ourselves going in the field? Again, and we cannot generalize, right? I mean, we cannot say, I mean, of course, there is a big role if you talk to companies, I don't know, talking a bit about um, uh, remote monitoring of patients, all these things. You have already, you know, like big, Big, you, you see all the big players, Amazon, you know, yesterday there was a leak on what Amazon Health would be like. And then, you know, Google getting into, into Facebook, getting into the, the business of medicine somehow, so all of them. So I can, I would like, it's a very broad question to try to limit where the field is going. But we can maybe talk a bit, a bit about ourselves, you know, about how we're seeing, you know, the field going. If you, in the three franchises I work in, structural heart valves, you know, TAVIs, you know, we are, uh, or the uh, interventional cardiology, you know, we are heading toward, again, more modernization of the way we put stents. People have been getting coronary stents for a while, right? But using 
new imaging modalities, new softwares that are automated, linked to, you know, if you look at an intervention, how it used to be done, you do an angiogram, a 2D X-ray, you see a bit of stenosis on the vessel, you go and you implant a stand and think it's good. But this was how we used to do it in the 90s and 2000s. The modern way of doing it is take an imaging catheter, an intravascular ultrasound catheter, go inside the vessel, measure exactly the vessel size, land properly your stand, expand properly your stand, you know? And again, where is the field going to answer you exactly? It's towards more automation on this. So imagine you do an imaging and it tells you not only where you land your stand, how big your stand should be, it gives you an idea of the physiology after your stand. And imagine when you link it to AI and all this machine learning and all these massive data, you will know if you put a stand in the proximal LAD, if that patient will live or die, because that's really, and how longer, you know, it will allow you to prognosticate. Again, are we there yet? No, you're not there yet. But this is where we're moving in the world of PCI, of intervening, you know, on, on, on patient. And this is where the investments are going. And this gives you a visibility on the next years. And the TAVI, you know, TAVI, when it started, the valve was to treat the people that are not candidate for operations. But today the world is changing. We're treating low-risk patient, intermediate-risk patient. And today, most of our work is to, with our platform, the Accurate Neo2, is to, 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 to create uh, or, or to find the best lifetime management for patients with aortic stenosis. And this is where a lot of our resources are going. You know, In the old days, when you treat an, an 80 or 90-year-old, you don't care about reaccessing the coronary arteries and to, to, to treat them. But if you're treating a 50, you expect this patient to live 30 years and to have. So this is where we're moving. Our field is moving towards more technological advancement, more automation, definitely a presence of AI on the imaging for sure. And again, more advancement and more to be able to do minimally invasive surgeries in safer ways. Today, when you change your aortic valve, it used to be open heart. Today, TAVI is becoming the standard of care, but we still have the tricuspid valve. We still have the mitral valve and we need better solutions for these. You know, so I, I'm not sure if I answered you uh, this way. I didn't, because again, each field of industry can tell you where they're going, but at least in interventional cardiology, that's that's the future for sure. This was uh, very, very good to get your insight. Uh, I guess as a follow-up question, I would want to know, uh, do, do you see, uh, because you were talking about transformation and uh, changes in the field, do you see more care happening outside the hospital maybe, so maybe in the clinic and maybe in the future, going to where the patients are, maybe at home uh, or uh, like a hybrid model of some sort? That's a great question. That's a great question. And yes, I think, you know, the idea is really the way, at least in interventional cardiology is even, we're moving. And I'm talking interventional cardiology is to bring to the cath lab and to the, you want ideally to bring to the cath lab and to the hospital, the patient that needs intervention and intervention that ideally would prolong their life, right? Or make them live better or live longer, right? And that's where a lot of, you know, you know if you are trying to move 
they need that, that in that aspect what you can do outside or preventing the admissions or screening as outpatient or following as outpatient with devices heart failure monitoring devices ct angiographies to screen the coronaries before you come to the hospital the only ca- not caveat but the only thing in interventional cardiology is we do treat heart attacks and yes you try to prevent them with medication but once a heart attack comes you need to go and treat it and treat it on the spot so so the field overall, for sure, all these gadgets you're having, right, are to screen people and try to keep them away from the hospital. And ideally, you know, I mean, you've seen how many in cardiology tools you have today, right, from monitoring of EKGs on Apple Watch, on devices, on portable. Your pulmonary, I mean, I know Khalil does that, but, you know, pulmonary artery pressure by small implantable devices to prevent your heart failure, catch the people before they decompensate, prevent them from going to the hospital. So the field is growing, growing to, to like to, to, like it's never like like it has never grown before. So I see, ideally, hopefully, less people going, or at least away trials to prevent the people that should not end up in the hospital from getting to the hospital. But once they get there, it's basically a better triage that is done outside, so that when you go inside, you treat and you're more concentrated and and definitely definitely complexity of disease will get in coronary artery disease and the treatments we provide will be more complex because again people are living longer you know and that that comes with its own you know if, if in the old days you were treating a 50 or 60 year old today when these people get to 90 their arteries are calcified the complexity when you treat them is going to be more difficult so this is why we need to be equipped with tools to treat the complex and you know whether complex PCR or complex valvular disease. Yes, yeah, so bas- basically now I'm gonna just transition to your role because you're the director of medical affairs, medical affairs and medical education for Europe and the MENA region. So that's a huge uh, swath of land and a huge number of countries that are very different from each other. Do you see that countries, it's very interesting because the world is moving uh, uh, upwards, I think a lot of the economies are moving upwards. Uh, at this point, do you see that these countries are moving at the same pace uh, towards adopting these new technologies? Or do you think still that, let's say, European countries or, or Western European countries are moving faster than the others? Or is it, is it interesting that all of them are moving at the same pace at this point? Yeah, that's a great, great one also, Harid, because that's Actually, I don't know, you should be defining strategies with us at Boston. So feel free to join us or something. But, but I'll give you a bit of, of an insight, you know, how we divide my territory. Because it's a huge territory. And again, the differences are huge. Let's start first by talking about of a geographical division, but it has implication on how the world is moving in these. Okay. We, in my area, we have five five division, uh, five, if you want, area, subdivision. I mean, they're not area. We, we call them the Northern Cluster, which is all the Scandinavian countries, um, uh, UK, France, that's one cluster. The Southern Cluster, Italy, Portugal, Spain, that's, you know, Southern. Standard Cluster, Germany, Austria, Switzerland. I'm just naming some, but just to give you a location so you can orient them on the map. And the Eastern Cluster, you know, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland. This is one part. This is, if you want, traditional Europe or old Europe. And 
we have something we call the GEM, the Growth Emergent Market, which also by itself has five areas, starting from Russia, Armenia, this is the first, Eurasia, we call it, you know, Ukraine, Belarus. Second one is the Southeast Europe. So ex-Yugoslavia, if you want, Croatia, Serbia, uh, Romania, Montenegro, that's the second one. Then you have Middle East, North Africa, traditional Middle East, North Africa. Oh, I skipped TCA, Turkey, Central Asia, all the way to Pakistan. Middle East, North Africa, which is the Gulf countries, the Levant, you know, Lebanon, Syria, uh, you know, and, and these neighboring countries as well as North Africa. And the last one is SSA or Sub-Saharan Africa and South Africa. And we are present as Boston Scientific in nine countries outside of South Africa, you know, Botswana, Kenya, Uganda, Ghana. So I'm naming these countries to tell you there's a huge discrepancies where each one is in the therapy and the access to therapies in interventional cardiology and the access to resources. You know, you cannot compare, they're not apple to apple comparisons when you say Germany and Uganda, they're not. And that's why, you know, maybe one important thing because you're talking about like a, a growth and everything. So, the biggest growing area in the world, when you consider Boston Scientific, when you all comers, US, Asia Pacific, Latin America, is actually the gem, the growth emergent market, the five last ter territories I mentioned, from Russia all the way to South Africa. This is the biggest growth, meaning that people are adopting, they're, they're, they're avid to, 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 to get the new technologies. And we're growing, we're not the biggest, right? I mean, US is biggest, Europe, Asia Pacific, Again, I gave you a sense of the whole net income for a year is 12 billion. So you can imagine like the size of these areas. But what is definitely peculiar is tell me how we, we can do it. What's peculiar about us in interventional cardiology and then is the way we approach it. When I was asked, you know, how, you know, when I came to the job, it's like, what's your strategy, you know, for these countries? I told them, first of all, I cover EMEA. It's not just the first E. We don't stop at the first E. It's Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Meaning that, and we cover, you know, we should be present in these countries in medical education, in medical affairs. While yes, you know, research structures are not as developed and, you know, in the Middle East or in Africa than the Central Europe. But the need for education is present everywhere. So. How to do medical affairs there is to try to provide the same quality, you know, depending on the needs of the local markets, you know, and that's why in our jobs, we don't work in silos. We are very much aligned with our business partners, with our marketing partners to see, okay, what's your priority for this country? What do you want to do there? And let's build it together and let's work on it together. So again, to answer you, huge discrepancies in these territories, but then there is always a need to educate, but maybe, and definitely, definitely the biggest discrepancy is going to be in, in the research. You know, we don't have strong research structures outside of Central Europe in this, but we are building them. And that's the role of us as industry is to find the right partners. That's why we launched, we are launching now, actually, we just signed our contract for a TAVI trial in the Gulf area and the Middle East, you know, and that's how step-by-step step, you build a research structure and you nurture it so that it can support, you know, your growth. 
it shows how passionate you are about medical education. I, uh, uh, I know I you started a residency, I think, in LAU, right? Fellowship. Yes, yeah, fellowship program. You're right, you're right, you're right. So um, I started the fellowship program there. I mean, that was part of my recruitment when the guys got me here was to start that, you know, but I, I'm passionate about education because I truly believe, you know, and this is like the non-commercial, you know, I'm not a commercial person, but I truly believe, you tell me what was your biggest incentive to leave? Imagine yourself, I am a believer of modern PCI, frustrated I can't do this, and suddenly I have the opportunity as, the, as in my role, I have the platform to educate every cardiologist of Europe, the Middle East and Africa and Central Europe and you name it, to do what I believe in. And this was for me the biggest incentive. You know, how many patients can you treat per day? If you're, I don't know, 30, if you are Khalil Jab, you do 50 because you're Superman, you know, but, but, if, but imagine you can teach this or implement it, this technique and this modern PCI thinking or this Tavi story to 10 physicians per country, just 10. Can you imagine the impact you can have? And that's what's really, you know, what keeps me, you know, motivated because you can make the difference. And after all, why are you making the difference? For your patients, right? You're making this for your patients lives longer and you do better intervention and you improve the care. And that's the drive. That's why we did medicine to start with. So, Emil, what are your, uh, I guess, future endeavors at this point uh, going from here? And then my, my next question is, uh, I actually admire you. You were able to stay in Lebanon despite everything that happened. So, uh, so do you plan to stay in Lebanon long term at this point? Too? That's the next part of the question. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So, um... You know, when, when, when I took the job, the job, you know, I was given five options in Europe and I decided to opt for France. But now, now that I'm, we decided not to move the family, we decided, you know, to, 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 to change and like move my contract. But I'm happy, I'm very happy in what I'm doing. So long-term plans, yes, I will try to stay in Lebanon as long as I can, meaning as long as, as it's livable. You know, we had tough times, 2020, 2021 were tough. I'm not saying 2022 is better, but you know how, how it is in Lebanon. You adjust. And, and super honestly, I mean, yes, we're not people driven by the finances, but once your work and your income is not related at all to, to Lebanon, you become like almost on, on continuous vacation. I mean, you're working in Lebanon, but you're, you don't have to deal with the stressful parts of working in Lebanon, right? Of, of the you know, lack of resources, the frustration of the day-to-day, -day, the stuff that you don't like to do. So long, medium to long-term plans, I'm very happy in industry. I'm not planning to go back to practice anytime soon. Did I rule it out for the future? No. Um, uh, so for the time being, I'm just exploring. I'm learning by the day. Uh, I'm happy again at Boston Scientific. And I'm you know, my immediate 2023 plan is the new educational journey we're building for uh, in Boston. And that's going to be huge, you know, like almost a catered education to your needs in a journey that starts with multiple touch points from, you know, the moment you encounter something online to the remote support you can provide to all this. That's really the top priority. Longer term, there's so much. I mean, we didn't have the time to talk about 
the growth, but there's so much possibility within industry uh, to, to, to grow. So, so again, uh, also maybe last point I will say, we, I am recruiting an interventional cardiologist next year in my team for the Middle East, North Africa. So if you know someone who's interested, send them my way. Uh, that's, that's my story. You know, that's how it started. That's what made me come to industry. Life is simple. I don't like to complicate it. You know, be genuine to my, be genuine to yourself. You know, the opportunity came, I took it. It came at the time I needed it. Had it come one year earlier or later, probably I would not have taken it. I would have been settled in a new job or I was still, you know, in my early practice in Beirut. It's a context. Opportunity came. Don't think too much. And I work by the motto, you know, my late dad used to tell me, if you do your thing, do it properly or don't do it. So, so that's why I say, if you guys, whoever is watching, if they're interested or you're exploring jobs in industry, something outside of traditional medicine, again, I was passionate about medicine, you know, with Khalid. I didn't do it, you know, you know, I love what I do and I still love what I do. It's not that you don't have to be, you know, good in one to do one or vice versa. So, but once you do your thing, do it properly or don't do it. Right. And, and, and I think, I mean, I, I think these days, as all of us know, I mean, medicine is not only clinical medicine. I think there's a lot of expansion going on, be it in industry, be it in insurance, be it in administrative okay. processes, consulting. So consulting, people should absolutely. not be wrapped up in like one, uh, one way of doing things in medicine. Uh, but, uh, Thank you, Emil, uh, for uh, being with us on the podcast. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it was great. It was probably one of the longest podcasts we've recorded so far. And it was... Yeah, we have to chop some of it, or otherwise people won't watch it. Thank you. It was a pleasure, really, to, to have me with you. Maybe the last career of medicine you did not mention is politicians. So please, Khalil, if you're bored in the States, you know, come back and, and run into politics here as a physician. You have, will have chances. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Have a great day, evening, wherever you are in the world. And thanks again for having me on your podcast. Thanks.